Well, the dedication of children is a watershed event for the families and those who love them. A general election is a watershed event. The turn of the year is a watershed event. And it's always good to take stock of who we are and what we're about during these incredible days. This has been a very long week for our country. And quite frankly, last night's football game did not help. Uh, but, but when you think about um, watershed events, it's always good to reflect. I was thinking about this yesterday and a letter came to mind, a really a journal entry written by a man named William Carey. William Carey very quickly went to India as a missionary in 1832. He was had very little education, but he was brilliant. Um, he settled in a place called Calcutta, which is in East India. Calcutta is um, a place where the climate is just brutal. It's brutal. And so he lived there really for 40, over 40 years. Never went back to England. Lived there for 40 years. His wife that went with him lost her mind and he had to nurse her for six years. And she was in a mentally depressed um, state where she would accuse him of horrendous things. She had to be strapped into a chair. It was just a horrible thing. And then he married again to a woman that he enjoyed immensely. She died after 13 years. He married a third time. So he buried, buried two wives in India. He buried a son in India, one of his four sons. He buried a grandson in India. And so at the age of 70, he makes this journal entry, never knowing it would be read again by anybody else. But this is what William Carey says. He's the father of modern-day missions who translates the Bible into at least seven or eight languages. Uh, he says, I am today 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness. Though on a review of my life, I find much, very much for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all of this, I am spared until now and even retained in his work. And I trust I am received into the divine favor through Jesus. I wish to be more entirely devoted to his service, more completely sanctified, more habitually exercising all the Christian graces and bringing forth the fruits of righteousness to the praise and honor of that Savior who gave his life a sacrifice for my sin. Now, I, I read that. I mean, this is a guy, he says, you know, I'm, I'm just, I should be humbled into the dust. But he says two things. He says, I am a monument of divine mercy and goodness. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can say that. I am a monument of the divine goodness and mercy of Jesus. And he also says, I am spared until now, 1792, yeah, 17, no, 18, nine, seven, yeah, but 1892 or something like that. And even retained in his work. He has spared you, believer, now. 
and he's spared you and called you to November the 8th, 2020 to represent his name. So you can say, I wish I was born this time or that time. That's a fool's errand. He's called you. He's gifted you to represent him now. So, so in the midst of a very difficult week, understand these things. And because of that, number one, speak with kindness to people around you. We, our nation is deeply hurt right now. There, there's, a, there's a lot of issues going on. And number two, be a peacemaker. Speak his peace. I mean, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus says, uh, I came to preach peace. James 3 says, wisdom, the wisdom from above is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, gentle, mercy, full of mercy and good fruits. I mean, speak peace. Well, that is the backdrop. We need to go to the scripture. We need to hear the word today. We're in the book of Micah. Micah's in the Old Testament, written 800 years before Jesus came. He's a contemporary of Isaiah. The basic message of Micah is this. The Lord is coming to judge his people because of the abuse of people, because of uh, uh, idolatry, because they have hardened their hearts to the message of God. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, For behold, the Lord Jehovah is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split open like wax before the fire. So God is coming to judge, and he's coming to judge in part because the leaders of the land have been abusing people. The leaders of the land have not cared for those who could not protect themselves. And, and the prophets and the priests don't preach the word. They, they preach what people think, what they think people want to hear. In fact, Micah says in this, in chapter 3, he, he says, if, 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 if they are given food, they'll preach. If they're not given preach, they won't preach. They preach whatever the people want to hear. And as a result of that, he says, verse 10 of chapter 3, they have built Zion with the blood of the innocent, and they have built up Jerusalem by their sin. And one manifestation of their sin is in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, you strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly. You abuse people that, don't even, that you have no beef with. And he says, the women of my people, you drive out from the delightful houses. In other words, the women, we think these are widows whose only source of income or capital is their homes. You seize their homes. And when it comes to their children, he says, and from the young children, their young children, you take away my splendor forever. You take away their inheritance. This is because of that, God is going to judge. He says, but in the latter days, after judgment, I will gather my people. And I, last, last week I said that in chapter 4 that the latter days was the coming of Jesus until now, until he comes again. We live in the latter days. It says in the latter days people will stream to the kingdom of God. We live in the time of people coming to the kingdom. And as they come to the kingdom, this will mark their lives. He says they will be people who, who love the truth and pursue it. He says, they will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the kingdom of God, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. They pursue truth. They pursue peace, he says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks to get fish out of the sea. 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The result of the Messiah coming is we would be people of peace. And we, we will thirdly rejoice in the kind provision of the Lord. It says, every man, chapter 4, verse 4, shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken and then fourthly, they will worship. He said, all the peoples walk in the name of their gods, their idols. He says, but we will walk in the name of Jehovah, our God, forever and ever. So, truth seekers, peace seekers, provision enjoyers and worshipers. And then, so the question this morning is this, what kind of people does the Lord bring into his kingdom? and change to be that type of person. And we have that in chapter four, verses six through seven. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Zion from this time forth and forevermore. He says, there's three groups of people I'm going to draw in. I'm going to draw in the lame. I'll make them into a remnant. I'm going to draw in those who've been driven away and cast off and considered as non-people. And I'm going to make them a strong nation. That's the church. We're chosen people. First Peter says, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And he says, I'm going to take those whom I have afflicted and I'm going to bring them in. And so you, you step back and you go, you know, the, who are the people that God brings into this incredible kingdom in the latter days? It's the lame, it's the, it's the cast-offs, those who have been marginalized, and, and it is the afflicted. That's not exactly first-round draft picks. That, those aren't lottery picks. But then you go to Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just gone through the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And he's given Satan a right cross to the jaw. And then it says this, verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and report about him went out throughout the whole surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he wrote out the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, close quote. And they all marveled. Jesus says, I am Messiah King. And this Messiah King came, and he came to call these types of people to him, the poor, those who were captives, the blind, 
those who are oppressed. Once again, not exactly Fortune 500 CEOs, not exactly the Illuminati, the glitterati of this culture. And then 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise when God called you. Not many of you were powerful when God called you. Not many of you were of noble birth when God called you. But God delights in this. God calls the foolish to shame the wise. And Paul says, you know, the church at Corinth, look around. Well, I say, church of East Cooper, look around. Not many of you were wise when God called you. Not many of you were powerful when God called you. Not many of you were on the society page of the New York Times, the Washington Post. You were not of noble birth. You don't tra- you know, trace your ancestry back to the Mayflower. But God chooses the weak things of the world, he says, to confound the wise. So that no one can boast before him except to boast in Jesus. So here's my thesis this morning. Only those who realize and confess their brokenness and their sin can receive the good news of the shepherd who gave his life for our sin. Because the key passage in Micah is the statement about the coming Messiah King. And it says, and he shall stand, chapter five, verse four, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. He will stand and shepherd his people. In the strength of the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Only those who are broken. John chapter 7 talks about brokenness. Brokenness can come in many different ways. Brokenness, you're just undone, you're discouraged, you're beat down. But in in Luke chapter 7, there's a centurion who was a noble Roman military leader. And he was wealthy and he had used his money to build a synagogue or rebuild a synagogue. And so he had a, a chief servant who was deathly sick and he called in some of the rabbis and he said, please please pray that this man would be healed. He's very valuable to me. And these rabbis go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, can you pray that this man's servant will be healed? He's very special to us. So the, 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 the centurion was broken up over the illness of a friend. Have you ever been broken over the illness of a friend? The slow deteriorating death of a friend? I have. And then from there, you go to a story about a, a, a funeral procession. And there's a funeral procession. There was a, a widow who had one child, a boy, and the boy had died. And in that day, uh, you know, you, there was no social security. There was no safety net. There was nothing like that. So you depended upon your children to take care of you. And here's their only child who's dead. And so she's really cast out, cast off. And, and so Jesus heals her son. But she's broken because of the death of a child. I have many friends in this church who have been broken by the death of a child. And the third person is John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was really, he was a man among men. I mean, John the Baptist, I mean, he was like tough. 
And John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist said, he is Messiah, King. And John the Baptist is arrested and put in prison by a corrupt official because he spoke the truth. And while John the Baptist is in prison, he starts to have doubts. Is he really Messiah? And so he calls his guys in and he says, go see the teacher whose name is Jesus and say, are you the one? Or should I look for someone else? And Jesus says, go back to John and tell him the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear. In other words, tell him that I am Messiah. Do you ever have doubts in your faith? Are you ever broken down because you just doubt the goodness of God? I do. And then the last little vignette, all one after another in Luke 7, is Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee and they're eating a huge meal. And in those days, you know, you would eat laying down, propped up on your, I guess your left, left arm. I'm, I eat left-handed, but right-handed, I guess. But, and your feet would be tucked behind you. And so while they're having this lavish feast, uh, a, a woman who was we think known for her unspeakable immorality, comes in and she starts bathing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair and she anoints his feet with costly perfume. And the Pharisees, is just, he's just undone. How does Jesus let someone like that touch him? And I read that and I thought, have you ever been broken down by your sin, by your inconsistency, by whatever? I have. And so, so brokenness comes in many variations and many colorations and many specificities. And the, the, the truth is that we all deal with that. So I'm talking to you about two groups of people. The first I'll just hit and the second we'll deal with. So there are two groups. Well, some, some, Romans 1 says there are some people who continually suppress the truth. So there's one group, they, they just suppress the truth. Romans 1 says, it's very clear when you walk outside and look into the starry night or look into the vast beauty of, of, of here in the low country, the, the, the marshes and the trees and the birds, it's very clear that there's a creator God. But people, instead of saying, there's a creator God, behold his majesty, they suppress it and suppress it and suppress it and they harden their heart. And, and so as they suppress it, they, they just... They just deny the existence of God, the reality of God, the fact that I'll answer to God. And he says they, they do that. And they become foolish in their thinking. And I, so I thought about that. I thought, you know, there, there are certain people who just redefine sin. I said, well, eh, I'm not sure that's wrong. Or they redefine brokenness. Eh, I'm not sure that's wrong. And what, the, what people really do, and this is, I've seen it a thousand times is, is they, they win the comparison game. Have you ever said this? Well, I'm, I'm pretty bad, but I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as him. I'm pretty bad, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that bad. And so I call that the Jerry Springer syndrome. Some of you that are older, uh, there was a show, one of the first shows that was just silly, silly beyond words, was called the Jerry Springer Show. And he'd have people come in who were under all types of horrible situations and expose them and they'd get on fights and supposedly pull them apart. And, and, and people actually watched that show. And I went, good grief. And I, I think the reason people watch shows like that, and we have a lot of those shows today, I mean, The, the, the Biggest Loser, I don't know, whatever you watch, you know, uh, whatever. Um, I think the reason people watch those shows, sometimes they say, well, you know, I may be screwed up, but I'm not that screwed up. 
You know, there may be some people here that are Jerry Springer material. I don't know, but probably, you know, they're, they're just really, uh, I'm, I'm messed up and I'm not that messed up. So they suppress the truth. You see, the Bible says that the law was given to convict us of sin. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by keeping the rules. Rather, as we look at the rules, we become aware of our sin. Let me give you an example. I read a story about a man who was trying to share the gospel with a very successful businessman, kind of one of these up-and-comers who had lots of money and lots of things going for him. And the guy just said, I don't, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I, I, don't, I don't need a savior. I don't, I don't, I'm not. Yeah. And the guy said, well, let me ask you this. Did you, you know, you're, you're married. Do you ever do anything that makes you unfaithful to your wife. She says, hey, man, I've never slept around. He said, well, he said, do you ever think about and flirt with other women? Oh, yeah. He says, I flirt with women. It's just kind of fun. He says, and sometimes on business trips, I go to these places where I don't want to tell my wife about where there are other women dancing and doing things. He said, how about, and his friend says, trying to share the gospel. How about the uh, fact that, do you ever speak ill of people, whether they're Different political party, different ethnicity, different nationality, different zip code in America. He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. He said, how about when you go on these two or three-week business trips to all over Europe, do you ever pad your expense account? He says, yeah, everybody does that. It's called Christmas money. And he said, okay, well, let's back up. According to Jesus, who said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery, you're an adulterer. According to Jesus, if you call your brother a fool or a blockhead and you belittle him, you've murdered your brother, you're a murderer, and you've already said you're a thief. So you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, and you're a thief. I think you need a shepherd. So the, the, the other group is what I call the try-harder group. So the suppressed group and now the try-harder group. The try-harder group has a, has a cycle. It goes like this. You go to life, you hit, you hit failure, and then failure leads to shame, and shame leads to despair, and despair leads to resolution. So you see, it's failure, shame, despair, resolution. So, so by, by failure, it means that, that it's the unraveling of our lives. We do things we don't want to do, and we struggle with them, and we put them aside. Instead of flourishing, we just kind of unravel. So we fail. We, we all fail. No one here is omnicompetent. No one here does everything right. Everyone here blows it. Number two, because of that, we have shame. See, sin can be defined like this. It is one disease with many symptoms. There are people whose, um, whose issues can be obvious. You look at them, they're struggling with something, and it's obvious. I think if when I go to an AA meeting, somebody stands up and says, hi, my name is fill in the blank, and I've, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, and I've been sober one hour, one day, one week, or whatever, 15 years. But, but the, the, their, their issue is up front and central. We camouflage it. We camouflage. We, 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 we camouflage our sin. We camouflage that which gives us shame. Every person here, believe me, every person here deals with shame. You, you don't do the things you should do. You leave things undone that should have been done. I'm, I'm filled with shame. I, I had a chance this week to share the gospel. I just thought about this between the services. I shared gospel with a guy. I was busy doing something. He was asking me questions, and I absolutely blew him off. I, thought, I said this morning, God, forgive me. 
He was, I could, it was so easy to say, have you considered who Jesus is? I mean, it's not a big deal. Shame. And that, that leads to despair and mourning. You know, your, your sin. David wrote Psalm 51. We think after his adultery and murder and deceit and duplicity and lies. And so he says in Psalm 51, he beats his breast and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's a man filled with despair, failure, shame, despair. Some of you are living there right now. All of us live there from time to time. Or in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul who wrote 12 or 13 books of the New Testament, he was God's apostle. And yet in Romans 7, he, he beats his breast and he says, the good things I want to do, I don't always do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I sometimes do. And he steps back and he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is crowd despair. And see, out of that, you resolve. I laugh at New Year's resolutions. You know, New Year's resolutions are usually kept about 12 hours. There's nothing wrong with resolutions. There's nothing wrong with goal setting. Don't misunderstand me. But man, I need the power of Jesus in my life. Because I, I, I go, failure, shame, despair, resolve. I'll do better this time. Nah, failure, shame, despair, resolve. I'll do better. Nah. Just, just, uh. So let me show you two guys. These are two guys, two guys I really like. Uh, tell you about the guy on the left is a guy named John Newton. Some of you know a lot about John Newton. John Newton, um, slave trader, and made a lot of money getting people from Africa and taking them to different places and selling them as chattel slaves. He abused people. He was immoral. Um, and he did some of that while he was married to a, a precious woman that was his wife for 50 years. He came to faith in Jesus. He repented of his sin. He became a pastor. And he wrote one of the most famous hymns in Christendom that says, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch like me, which means a bad dude. He said, yeah, John Newton was a bad dude. Get that. Tell this other guy, Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley's, just to decide, Charles Wesley's mother's name was Susanna, and she was the 25th of 25 children born to her daddy. Two wives. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I just, I thought, you know, they say if you're the third or the fourth born the last child in the three or four, that you're always a party looking for a place to happen, you know? And so, what, what are you for 25 out of 25? You must be out of control, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, she, and she married Samuel Wesley, who was a pastor, but he was really not, not a very good husband. They were always poor. He spent his money writing commentaries that no one wanted to read. Um, and, but, but they had 19 children. Nine died in infancy. Charles was number 18 of 19. Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley grew up a wonderful man, we would say. He went to Oxford. At Oxford, he was an honor student where he started the Holy Club. 
Uh, they would, the Holy Club was made up of young men who would get up early, early, early in the morning, and they would fast twice a week, and they would study the Bible, and they worked with the poor, they gave their money to the poor, and they were so methodical in what they did, they were called Methodists. And that became a denomination that his brother started. They were called Methodists. It was a kind of a curse word. They made fun of them. Charles Wesley goes to Georgia. He's there for three years as a missionary. He has a terrible experience. Comes back to England, leaving from Charleston, South Carolina. And he goes back to England and he's converted to Jesus. So he's a missionary, unconverted, comes home, he's converted. He lives with zeal and love at age 43. He marries a 24-year-old young woman. They have a wonderful marriage. He writes 6,500 hymns. I said it right, 6,500 hymns. Good life, strong life, good, good guy. Really, really good guy. And, and yet, here's one of his hymns, one of my favorite hymns that he wrote that I like. It's called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And this is what he says. He says, Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness. Vile and full of sin I am. Thou art full of grace and truth. You say, oh, yeah. Triune God, you're just and holy? Yep. Then he steps back and he, as he looks at his life, he says, I am all unrighteousness. Vile of, and full of sin I am, but they are full of grace and truth. You go, vile of, of, of sin? Uh, I mean, of, of all unrighteousous, vile and full of sin. So the, the, the worst thing he ever did is he, he probably said a bad word when he hit his thumb with a hammer. This isn't a, a, a bad guy. Listen, he knew his heart. Charles Wesley knew his heart. He said, I'm, I'm, I didn't do what John Newton did. Don't misunderstand me. But, but he said, but listen, I know my heart. See, to me, when you know your heart, you sing hymns like this by Charles Wesley. Another hymn, he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound by sin and nature and night. Thine not effused a quickening way. I woke the dungeon filled with light. God, you showed me the beauty of the gospel. So, 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 the gospel gets you out of the failure, shame, despair, resolve cycle. And it shows you the beauty of Christ. And so I, I come to this passage, and I come to this significant passage, I think of Micah, either this one or Micah 6, 8, but where it says about the coming of Messiah, he'll come out of this backwater city named Bethlehem, and he shall stand and shepherd his sheep in the name of the majestic name of the Lord his God, and they will dwell secure. There'll be no cycle. They'll be secure because they are in him, and I love it. And so the, the way we break sin, I believe this, is that we behold the glory and goodness of Christ the first time we come to faith, the first time we realize he shed his blood on the cross for my sin, and the 10,000th time we come and say, blessed be the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, you will stand and shepherd your sheep in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord your God, and I will be secure, and you will be my peace. So I, I need to, the most important thing in my life, brothers and sisters, is to behold the goodness and the mercy and the majesty and the life-giving goodness of Jesus, to treasure him, in the midst of my brokenness. You see, people that don't see their brokenness will never run to the cross. 
People don't see their brokenness will never run to the cross as believers. People don't see their brokenness will never stay like a 70-year-old William Carey. I want to be more sanctified to him. I want to be more spilt out for him. When I was growing up, there was a TV show that I watched for two years. I was a young kid. It was called Branded. Anybody here ever heard of the TV show Branded? Anybody? One back here. Anybody else? One over here. Thank you, Greg. Anybody else? What a bunch of losers. <laughs> I mean, it was a good show. It only lasted two years, but the guy, guy was, in fact, the guy starting was 6'5". Was he played professional baseball and basketball before he became an actor. Anyway, the story goes like this. Um, there was a battle at Bitter Creek, and only one man survived, and they just assumed that he ran away. But he didn't. He was a heroic man. But, but the, the, theme, the theme song goes like this. And it's hard for me to read it without singing it because I sang it all the time growing up. Anyway, it goes like this. Um, all but one man, all but one man died. There at Bitter Creek. And they say he ran away. This is all. It goes like this. Branded. Marked with a coward's shame. See, shame. What do you do when you're branded and you fight for your name? And this, wherever you go for the rest of your life, you must prove you are a man. So, so in the show, the opening credits were, they, they, he was standing there, they're beating the drum and surrounded by fellow officers and they tear the officer's palace off his uniform and they tear open his uniform and they take his sword and they break his sword and they throw it out and they make him walk the walk of shame and they close the gates behind him. And so the, the, the show was, so we rode throughout the Southwest for the two seasons that was on the air, protecting people who could not protect themselves and, 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 and just doing good things and showing that he wasn't a coward. Watch the movie Four Feathers, the same concept, it's a great movie, Four Feathers. Anyway, Branded. And as I thought about branded, I thought, that is a terrible way to live. Wherever you go for the rest of your life, you must prove you're a man. Marked with a coward's shame. I thought, that, what, what, what a horrible way to live your life. It's just all about the failure. Shame, despair, resolve, cycle. You never get out of it. Where do you ever arrive and say, hey, I'm a man now. I've proven I didn't run away. I was reading through Proverbs yesterday, Proverbs 7, my proverb of the day. And, and I, I, I was just, it was, it's all about being, not falling for a seductive wife of another man who is trying to reel you in. And it says, don't go there. Don't, don't go down, down her street. Don't listen to her. Don't give her eye contact. Don't, don't do any of that stuff. And, and then it closes with this statement. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth and let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low when all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. Now that, that's pretty graphic. But you know, and that's motivation. And you go to the next chapter, it's about Lady Wisdom. I think 
prefigures Christ. But anyway, that's very graphic, but it's all about don't do this because you'll get caught. Don't do this because it leads to destruction. And that's one motivation. But let me tell you something. That is, in the culinary art world, that is McDonald's. That's the golden arches. That's okay. But Micah 5 is the Michelin three-star restaurant that you drive all night to eat at. The way you conquer these things is to treasure Jesus as a broken person. How do you break the stare and the hold of these issues? We deal with issues. How do you break them? You worship Jesus. I want you to get that. So he welcomes limping people because of sin or physical deformity or because of life circumstances, because of old age. We limp. He welcomes the castaways and he welcomes the afflicted. That's us. That is us. That's the glory of the gospel. It's never too late. See, there was a, there was a Pharisee who all of his life was on the failure, shame, despair, resolve train. And, and, and outwardly, he was killing it. In fact, he became a man who persecuted the church. He hardly proved of the stoning to death of a man named Stephen, a godly man who preached Christ. And they stoned him to death. He was breathing out murderous accusations against the church, and God saved him. And this man who was all involved in the cycle of resolution and just doing better and trying harder said this, everything in that cycle was nothing more than a pile of rubbish. Oh, that I may be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that flows from the law, but having a righteousness that comes only through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for my sin. His name was the Apostle Paul. That's Philippians 3, verse 9. Do you see that? Are you either suppressing it and comparing yourself and you're doing well, or are you involved in the shame cycle? Jesus takes it away. So here's my, here's, I'm, I'm, I'm done, but let me just say this. This passage ends by saying, and he is our peace. I didn't get a chance to redevelop that, but listen. If you are a Jesus follower, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus who covers your sin, this week you're going to be in a conversation unless you isolate yourself. You're going to be in a conversation where people are going to be upset and they're going to be saying this or that. This is a very difficult time in our country. And everything's layered over with the COVID thing. Just say, you know what, I was, in, I was in church Sunday and I really believe that Jesus brings peace. And if you want to be even more bold, say, you know, there's a passage that says that, that Jesus has broken down the division wall between Jew and Gentile. He is our peace. We need Jesus to break down division walls in our culture and, and, and be our peace. I just, want to be a, I just want to be a peacemaker. Or just say, I want to be a peacemaker because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. So I'm praying to be a peacemaker. You say, I mean, just, this is just so easy. Just do that. Just please, everybody here, do that. Online, in the sanctuary, everybody. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today's, uh, this passage. It just 
has a glorious reality. Thank you that you work in the hearts of people who are afflicted, people who are cast outs, people who limp. Thank you that you welcome us, you embrace us, and thank you that you stand and you shepherd your sheep in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord your God. And we dwell secure. And you are our peace. So we just thank you. Oh God, use us to be peacemakers in our culture. In Jesus' name, amen.